Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm coming to you live from Summit Powder Mountain in Eden, Utah. This episode is with the one and only Elliot Biznow, co-founder of Summit, who I've known now for over a decade. He uh, is a really incredible entrepreneur, and I would say also an incredible builder of relationships. And so when I reached out to him, I said, you know, Elliot, I'm going to be up on the mountain. I hadn't yet done an episode in person for quite some time because we're recording during the coronavirus pandemic. But we sat outside uh, just behind his parents' house at the top of the mountain. And we talked about a lot that I think could be really valuable for you, the listener. We talked about um, entrepreneurship, how he started from nothing and built incredible relationships uh, by being in service. Um, how he has built an incredible community of some of the most uh, profound entrepreneurs on the planet, Um, the the notion of curation. We talk about fatherhood and how fatherhood has changed his perspective. We have talked about, we talked about, um, you know, the notion of what the future of Summit looks like, how how going deep uh, with relationships is so powerful. Um, So we talk about various... uh, I think both strategies and reflections on how events can be used to build incredible relationships, as well as uh, you know some really powerful questions around true value and virtue as it relates to the depth of those relationships. So for any entrepreneurs out there, for anyone keen on building and nurturing uh, life-changing relationships with incredibly uh, high-caliber Uh, folks, I think this episode will be valuable for you. And so without further ado, it is my great pleasure to introduce the co-founder of Summit and the builder of this incredible vision, which is Summit Powder Mountain. All right, I'm here on top of Summit Powder Mountain with uh, the visionary behind this incredible uh, movement, really, which is Summit, uh, Elliot Biznow. Elliot, it's a pleasure to have you. Welcome to the mountaintop. Yeah, I I was thinking earlier about when we met, and it was actually now over a decade ago. We, I was with Adam Braun, founder of Pencils of Promise, a mutual friend of ours, and we met on a charter flight from Miami to Haiti just after the earthquake. And I remember sitting, it was early in the morning, and you were with your co-founders, and I remember sitting and listening to your vision at the time, and then sharing in this incredible experience of volunteering at this field hospital in Haiti. And now sitting a decade later across from you on top of this mountain that you have built together with your team, um, it's truly uh, beautiful to see what you've created. And for the benefit of the audience, would love to get into some of the mindsets that you've used to be able to realize this vision. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that Haiti trip in a long time. I think the journey of entrepreneurship is generally, for great companies, not calculated. They're just following um, They're following their heart and they're following their passions and they're seeing a problem in the world that they want to solve or they're seeing something unjust that they feel isn't right and they want to step in and take action. And um, 
we were in Florida after the Haiti earthquake, and we realized we could, you know, jump on a, a, a you know, 40-minute flight to Haiti and bring supplies and put our boots on the ground, literally, um, for a few days. And this was in the early days of Summit when we were in our early 20s. And we didn't have a plan. It wasn't calculated. We just went down and, um, yeah, hadn't thought about that in a long time. Yeah, it was transformational for me, man. I was thinking about, because my first experience of Summit was just after that. So I, I learned about what you guys were building, and that was pretty early early days. And we'll get, obviously, to, into the inception point and when you, when you first had the vision. But um, I was able to go to DC-10 uh, just uh, a few months later. But that trip to Haiti was so foundational for me and volunteering there and traveling with Adam through the countryside and, um, and was actually um, a, a huge reason why um, I wound up going into Global Citizen, but it was it was a very formative trip for me, and meeting you guys was a big part of it. So, for the benefit of the audience, what was um, you know take take me back to you as an early twenty year old having this entrepreneurial vision? As I understand it, doing my research, it wasn't like you were born by any means with a silver spoon in your mouth. It wasn't like you had like this massive Rolodex. How did you go about? Uh, you know, now we're sitting on this mountaintop 10 years later, which you created and, and, and is incredible. But take me back to the inception point of Summit. Like what, what was it that led you to want to launch this vision and how did you go about it? Well, the idea for Summit was that I didn't know anybody and I literally felt like I was an island in the 10,000 islands and I knew there were entrepreneurs around me, but I didn't know any of them. And so the original idea was I should cold call them. And I think like most really good businesses, um, it's often a bridge to a bridge. They're, you know, The businesses that we're using, that's not what they were today. Um, you know, The Tesla cars you see today is not what they originally were. You know, Slack made you know, half a dozen different pivots. Like you can go on and on, and they're often bridged from something else, like a bridge to a bridge. And you know, I had my first uh, few entrepreneurial endeavors in college, but I, I was trying to solve a dilemma for something else, right? I had a small business that I'd started with my dad. I didn't know anyone, so I cold called people who were also my age, who were in the same stages of entrepreneurship, right? They were at the beginning in their first few years of building businesses. And I called them to get advice you know, on, to, on building my business, and I said, why don't we get together for a ski weekend? Mm-hmm. And my idea was, you know, I'd read about business conferences, so I said, you know, I'll pay for it, and I, I was selling advertising at the time in our business I served with my dad. And so I said, I'll pay for it. And I knew in the back of my head that I would recruit sponsors to cover the cost of the trip. And I got 20, you know, company founders to say yes. And, you know, what turned out, um, what was supposed to be just a a three-day trip to get ideas around my business turned out to be the inklings of something much more powerful. It turned out that all 20 of these you know, attendees for the first summit event wanted the same thing. They also wanted a peer group. They also didn't get invited to business conferences or prestigious events. We were unknown. Often the things you read in the press are about really successful, well-known people, but 99.99% of people aren't in that category. So they're not going to these well-known conferences and gatherings. So we had nothing to go to. We had no peer group and it didn't seem fair. Uh, didn't seem right. And I, um, I felt totally left out. So what started as um, trying to solve one thing for my other business became the thing. It was the bridge to the bridge. I was trying to solve something, and then I realized, wow, well, this is actually something that a lot of people need. And 
wow, let's do a second event for 60 people. And then that went really well. Let's do another event for 120 people. And that actually became uh, the business that I've dedicated my business life to is, you know, building community and events for entrepreneurs. So I love this. And one of the things I wanted to tap into was when you first had that vision and you called those first 30 people, you know, you mentioned that it was cold calls. I know a lot of people who would be listening may have a vision that they want to build relationships with certain people and feel super intimidated or don't even know how to go about starting it. Um, when you thought about this notion of, okay, I'm going to reach out to these 30 folks, how did you get their contact? How did you, I mean, I imagine the fact that you were, you know, down to cover the expense yourself made the, the offer even more palatable. But um, what was your experience in the invitations? Did you invite more than 30? Some said yes, some said no. How did that, how did that wind up panning out? Well, cold calling isn't difficult if you're cold calling people like yourself or yep. people at your level. Cold calling is difficult if you're trying to cold call someone much, much more successful or someone that you clearly want to sell something to, right? The, the higher the reach, the harder the call. And so in this case, it was calling people, you know, just like me. And some of them were a little more successful. Most of them, I would say, were clearly out of my league. But it wasn't way out of my league. Maybe they had they weren't well known. They weren't getting you know press hits all the time. You know, you weren't calling Steve Jobs. Absolutely not. I I was calling uh, Blake Mykoski from Tom Shoes, who had three employees and had started the company six months earlier. I was calling the founders of Vimeo, who had just started the company a few years earlier. Um, so they were not well known at the time, and. You know, I think the key to a cold call, um, you can warm it up with an email and say, hey, I really want to reach out. Here's some background on myself. The, the key is humanizing yourself because my experience is that most of the people, almost everyone I meet are just fantastic, kind, thoughtful people. But, you know, the more successful someone is, the more their, you know, defenses are up. And I think the more you can humanize yourself, even if you're in college, just tell your story. Don't pretend you're someone you're not. I'm in college. I'm a sophomore. Here's what I do. I'm a little lost, but I'm a really nice person. I'm really passionate. Um, I'm really, you know, looking for help. Or I saw this amazing, uh, you know, interview you were in, and it changed my life. And I had some follow-up questions, like things that humanize, make you real, show that you're just a really kind, wonderful, normal person. Again, like my experience, 99% of people are immediately makes it much, much easier to cold call. And again, you can warm up a cold call, a literal phone call. You can warm it up with a warm email and say, hey, I'm going to reach out. Um, it's not hard to get people's contact uh, info if they're not well-known. It doesn't have to be their phone number. It can be their email. It can be a direct message on you know any social platform. And again, if you have a thoughtful email, uh, a, a surprisingly large percentage of people will reply, not like 5%, maybe half or maybe a third. Um, and it's surprising how few thoughtful messages I get or see. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that was, that was my idea to reach out to these folks. And they were very receptive. Um, the interesting thing is when I first reached out, I reached out to people who knew me. Mm -hmm. And they were actually uninterested in coming on my trip. They said, I know you. You are in Washington, D.C. and you sell advertising. Uh, I know you. Like, you know... You, why would I want to know you better? And there's an interesting thing that people who don't know you are often more intrigued than people who do know you. And to the people I didn't know, I was an entrepreneur who was building my business selling advertising. You know, that's what I, that's what I was doing. I was clawing my way through. Whereas the people who knew me thought this is, you know, who knows what this business is and he's just an ad salesperson. Yeah. So when I, so the first round of invites didn't really work. 
And it was when I reached out to other people also who were entrepreneurial, who saw the risk I was taking and thought, you know, I see some semblance. A lot of people thought I was crazy. So it didn't work when I reached out to non-entrepreneurial people because they thought, this is weird. Why would I want to go on a trip? He's just an ad sales guy. I don't even understand his business. But as soon as I reached out to entrepreneurial people, wow, he's an entrepreneur. He's that guy's selling advertising to support his dream. That's incredible. You know, they, they got it and they resonated. I, lo- I love that distinction that you're drawing because I think a lot of people don't really think about like where there's sort of like distinction between signal and noise. You know, a lot of times people like, especially like email introductions, like, you know, I, I imagine for you as well, I'll get hit up with a bunch of emails where it's, it's unclear what their agenda is. It's, you know, I'd love to pick your brain, which is very abstract. Um, what I love about your approach is you personalized it. You went ahead and introduced yourself in a very human way. And then you reached out with them, to them with an experience that was profound, which also would be a value to them because you're curating a whole group of people that may be of interest because they're entrepreneurs and they share that resonance and creating a context and a container in which they could find value. So I love that you, I feel like that's a huge distinction because so many people, I feel like when they're looking to build relationships, just kind of lead with this abstract, I want to pick your brain, which to me is like so antithetical to results in terms of building quality relationships. And you went about it like, hey, I'm going to put, I'm going to pay for a trip, put it on my credit card and bring together 30 amazing people. And that gestated the beginning of something truly extraordinary. The first few were the hardest. The first few are always the hardest, but I said to them, hey, here's what I'm thinking of doing. If I could get more people, would you want to come? So then I was able to get a few people to say yes. Once you have three, you can have 20. And once I had three, I was now bringing value to other people because now I could call these other entrepreneurs and say, hey, would you want to come? And here's kind of what I'm doing. I'm organizing. Here's some people who've said they'll come if other people come. So now I wasn't just saying, can I pick your brain? I was saying, well, can I pick your brain? But also I'm going to have some other people you can pick their brains and I'm going to do all the organizing. Yeah. I love that. So to me, I, I think about that like an anchor. Like when we were doing the fest music festival, it's like, how do you get that first headliner? Because if you get the right headliner, right? Like if you get like a Jay-Z or Beyonce, everyone's willing to be on stage or everyone's willing to perform. But getting that first person can be challenging. So it sounds like what you did was you got those first two or three. And then once you got the first two or three, you were able to kind of sculpt, if you will, or curate around around those those anchors. Yeah, and it never ends, right? Because then you want to have higher level people and then someone becomes, you know, the first pretty well-known person you have. But now they're in a group of lesser well-known people and then you have extremely well-known people and then you want to have the most well-known people and then you want to have sponsors. So this this game of chicken and egg, you know, it never ends. It's not like, well, I did the three 12 years ago and it ended. You know, I kept having to continue doing it and, you know, finding out, it's always about mutual value, right? Yeah. What am okay, if you're going to have a big performer at your festival, what are you giving to them or to their cause or what they care about? So it's ne- it never ended and it's it's this, it's this concept I described from 12 years ago with those first few people and it carries forward in almost, you know, all the scenarios uh, you know that we've done. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like it's it's a context of fine, aligning the altruistic interest with sort of what I c- would call the enlightened self-interest. And how do you stack those in a way where, where, where there's there's that sort of mutual resonance? And you guys have been, you know, I think genius at that. And you've also been able to attract, I feel like, 
you know, talent. I know I had done the research and you you talked about this notion of, of high, cool, low cost. Can you tell me a little bit about that as, as you've as you've scoped out? Because you, a lot of times you actually you're not going for the huge name that is the known quantity, although you've pulled some absolutely incredible uh, names. But you're actually oftentimes shepherding up like you reached out to Blake Mykoski, who's now obviously exited and, and had a very successful uh, exit with Tom's. But you know, when you reached out to him, he had two or three employees. So how did you sort of think about that notion of curation and, and going early? Well, the reality is that none of us ever have enough money for anything we ever want to do. And yeah. again, even, uh, you know, our heroes uh, like Elon Musk and Tesla never quite have enough money uh, to do the things they want to do. Gr- granted, it's on a scale, of, you know, a million times bigger than what we're doing, but we're always short of funds, Right, and it's it's at a different scale. Sometimes it's short of funds at your one-person startup, and sometimes it's short of funds at your hundred-person startup. But you're always short, and so the question becomes, how can you do really cool, valuable, impactful things at a low cost? And so we say high, cool, low cost. You know, we're trying to, you know, do events that reinvent the business conference. You know, a music festival meets a business conference. Oh, well, okay. Well, we're going to need great music. Okay. Well, we obviously can't afford to book. Um, Kanye West or the Red Hot Chili Peppers for millions of dollars. So what can we do? What's cool? Okay, well, what if, you know, the music we book is what's next? And actually those artists now are excited about a platform to, you know, to perform in front of thousands of people at a summit event, but our community is excited to see what's next. And so that's been an approach where it's a win-win. The artists benefit and the community benefits. Whereas if we're trying to get a really huge artist they don't really benefit. They have tens of millions of fans. The only way that they perform is for millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars that, again, none of us have. And um, and so we've, we take that approach to everything we're doing. You know, how can you look at any situation you're in with your business and what can you do that's really high cool, really high impact, really low cost? And there's always things you can do that are high impact and expensive. And so the art of it, um, like Andy Warhol says that, you know, good business is the best kind of art. And so looking at yourself as a business artist, like the real art to business isn't being able to spend lots of money to do something awesome. Like everybody can do that. The art is building something really impressive, really affordably. Yes. So well said. And because I, I think that's where a lot of people feel like they, they don't even get the start that they are looking to create because they have that barrier of cost. Whereas I feel like, you know, you guys exemplify that notion of what you can create based off that, if you will, that context of cool and also the value, you know, we've all heard the adage and I, you know, I I imagine you share this, but like you are the sum of the five people you share, you know, spend the most time with and the context of creating containers in which people can connect is so profoundly valuable that it has its own currency, its own value, right? And so where I feel like you guys have so excelled is you create those those cool experiences that have that unique value in and of themselves. Are there tenants to the way that you think about, I mean, I know you, you think about doing events differently. That's one of the core tenants. But are there other aspects of the way that you think about events as it relates to relationship building that are co- kind of core in the way that you that you go about it? Yeah, I think that our experience attending events and, you know, you know, you can learn a 
a lot from events that are really different than yours. So, you know, I could learn just as much going to a sporting event and seeing a cool tweak they have or going to a small, you know, concert with a few hundred people and seeing some interesting thing they have at the entrance or something they do on the stage. You know, you can learn as much from things that are adjacent to your business as some, you know, direct competitor or something very similar. Like I'm generally not studying business uh, events just like uh, I don't think you know Tesla is studying their competitors' cars, right? There, um, and I like the Tesla example because you know everyone follows them so closely; it's very relatable. And yeah. if they're do- doing that, then we should probably be following, since they're the you know biggest success uh, of the last decade. So, you know, for us, we're constantly looking at adjacent events or adjacent gatherings. Um, you know, there's a very cool event that popped in my head just now of. Um, this dinner on Blanc where like tens of thousands of people dress up in all white and they bring their own food and picnic baskets and they make these long tables or they, um, you know, picnic in the park. But it's uh, it started in Europe and you get the location of the event uh, like an hour before. So 10,000 people sign up, they put on their whites, they make this amazing meal, they bring their wine and then like 60 minutes before they get a text message, it's here. And then they all go in the play. And you know, that's not a business event, but those are the kinds of things where we get a lot of inspiration from, or it could be, you know, something we see in a cool community, a place like, uh, you know, Boulder, Colorado, or Ogden, Utah, or a small town in Mexico. So we're always looking at adjacent things. Um, You know, we are not event planners. We are, we're in the community business. We're in the people business. And I think um, folks who want to be entrepreneurs, put themselves in too much of a bucket. I plan events, so I'm an event planner. No, you're not. Just like, um, again, the adages at Apple, you know, everyone there thought that they were a computer company and Steve Jobs, you know, is well known for saying, you know, we're a technology company. So then of course we could make phones, but, it, but that wasn't in the mindset. You know, we are a people company, you know, uh, global citizen is a community organization um, an impact organization, when you put on a different lens, suddenly you have a totally different perspective of yourself. Tesla's not a car company, and that's why they're valued so high, right? They're a company on the cutting edge of the solar revolution. And we, oh my gosh, wow, so solar revolution, batteries and solar panels. Oh, so you're, gosh, I didn't realize. I thought it was just cars. And I think we, we all need to make that transition in our minds of who we are. We, we put ourselves in a box starting when we're 12 or 16 or in college that I'm a this. And it's no, that's not right. You know, if you went to the Olympics for figure skating, you are not a figure skater. That's one thing. But imagine all the other things. You're a global traveler. You're a competitor. And I think the people who can open up and broaden their definition of themselves, they suddenly see a new uh, horizon in front of them of possibilities. I love that. I love that distinction. I feel like that is one of the great challenges is people start to put themselves in these boxes. And that's one of the, you know, as I, as I think about relationship building, which you've been, I think, one of the, the best I know at, you know, when I think about systems that are broken, and, and I, I feel like what you're talking about is this notion of, of sort of the brave new world. Like Tesla, to me, is an exemplification of, it's not a, even a, just a car company. It's redefined. And 
as I think about it, a lot of times when people think about relationship building, they think about, for example, networking. And it's like, what do you do as the first question, which I think is a horrible first question, while simultaneously looking over someone's shoulder to see if someone more valuable who does what they do, uh, they can connect with, which I, to me is like uh, ghastly. What I love is like when people really lead with who they're being, which is much more of a 360 embodiment than it is this codified vision of like what their profession is. Um, so as you think about, as you talk about this notion of these companies or these ways of uh, these entrepreneurs that define themselves much more broadly, how do you think about, because you did just make the distinction earlier, which I loved about kind of bringing together entrepreneurs and you have focused on entrepreneurs. How do you think about curating events, which you've been very good at doing that are diverse, but yet still kind of in, a, in an area where the signal is very much resonant with a broad and diverse group of people, right? It's not just like real estate entrepreneurs. It's like, you know, people who are broadly defined across various sectors. Well, the most important thing in, you know, gathering people is just the quality of the person, just mm-hmm. gathering good people. It's obviously a strange time now to be talking about gathering people, but, you know, maybe you're going to gather people over Zoom or, um, you know, maybe you want to get six people together at a nice socially distant, uh, in a nice physically distant way. Um, but the, it's always about the caliber of the people. And I think looking back, one of the most mind-blowing realizations I've had about the people who've come to Summit events in the last 12 years is that when we look at the business successes, almost none of them were the ones anyone thought would be successes. Hmm. And I can look back to a hundred examples of people wandering the hallways wandering the auditoriums, wandering the cafeterias at summit events with nobody paying attention to these people. And they are the most successful people. Um, The founders of Shopify. And these people are $10 billion. The company's twice as valuable as Uber. Um, The original Uber founders. Um, Tony Shea from, you know, Zappos. I mean, nobody thought that these people would be successful. And they're and it, it, it goes to the point of often introverts are the most successful folks. And it's the people who are really, there's at all the events, there's the showy people. And I'm sure in each of our lives, you have the showy people who act the part. It could be in high school, it could be in college, or it could be the entrepreneurs. And almost none of the showy people that I've seen have really attained success. Um, and the ones that have, have ended up a lot more like, um, what I want to say, but... I was say Adam Newman from WeWork, but I'm, I'm, you know, that they got to a place, but there wasn't then the, I guess the support behind them, but but it's, or the business model, um, the the people who who have become successful, and I reflect back, were the people who kept their head down, built a great product, um, built great relationships, and I guess that's probably been one of the most shocking things looking back is like, wow, I kind of had this picture in my head at all the events, like, oh, that person or that person. You know, let's, you know, make sure to have, you know, talk to them or check in because they're going places. And it's, it's not, it's almost not a single time worked out like that. Like almost all the showy people have not hit their success. And then there are these kind of, you know, sleeper under the radar folks. And so I think, you know, to wrap this point, I mean, the obvious lesson is, you know, treat everyone, um, you know, like the Buddha in disguise, you know, treat everyone, um, you know, as kindly as you can, not just because they could be good for you, but 
it's the right thing to do. And this is just an example where the right thing to do, I think will, you know, you know, is clearly the better thing for your, you know, career and business. Very, very well said. That actually brought up for me a question that I'd had as I was doing my research, which is that obviously uh, success and you're a driven entrepreneur and you've created a a community of, of profoundly successful entrepreneurs. But the notion of success, I'm very curious to hear what your vision of success looks like, right? So I imagine it sounds like in listening to what you just shared that perhaps your vision of success may be different from the 21-year-old version of your vision of success. Maybe, maybe not. But what is? how do you think about um, success today? Well, I think we would all agree, you know, success is some form of happiness and yeah. fulfillment. Um, you know, when we're talking about business, I, you know, try to cut to the bottom line, which is like business success, you know, and not dance around that. I mean, ideally in our lives, we're putting markers down or uh, – metaphorical markers of, of, of who we want to be and how we want to improve, you know, success in your family life, success with your health and wellness, success with, you know, your, your, your children and relationships, success in your business. So there are many markers of success. I think, you know, I've been referring to kind of your traditional business success because at the end of the day, you know, that is foundational. Um, you know, I realize, you know, in thinking about, you know, I, I think often about, you know, this past decade and the people I've run into. And the reality is we all judge people from the surface. And then, and what we think of not the surface is I got to know them over a few hours. I got to know them over a year. But the reality is we don't know anyone unless, you know, it's maybe our, our, our spouse or partner um, or our best couple friends. And so I think when I reflect back, there is a lot of superficial judgment of, who's successful, who's doing what, but then you don't know them, right? And I think, you know, I look back and it's, you know, it's, it, the reality is I don't know any of these people. I don't, I literally don't know them. I know them superficially. So how would I know if they're going to be business successful or life successful? You see a lot of people who, you know, try to show that they're living this well-rounded life, but they're not behind the scenes. You know, you see people who show their business acumen, but, you know, they have, you know, different, they have the wrong goals, and so I think it goes back to, you know, treating everyone, you know, like the Buddha in disguise um, because you just don't know who's going to end up where. Yeah. Who, and uh, But, how, yeah, how do I think about success right now? I mean, uh, I guess happiness, fulfillment, not setting my expectations too high. Um, you know, I think that our goal, or I can just say my goal, is that everything I should have and want is here right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy where how everything is and I've kind of accepted my entrepreneurial path as like an extremely bumpy mountain biking trail on Powder Mountain <laughs> and it's like an amazing trail but it's just covered in bumps and so as long as you get through the trail even if you crash a bunch of times not a bunch enough that you don't break your arm but you get through the bumps and you have fun and you whiz around some turns and but that is the expectation it's not a beautiful downhill you know five mile glide path Right. And so I think for me, it's just a reframing. I have a two-year-old. So, you know, there's so many beautiful moments and there's so many moments of no sleep. But my expectation is of the bumpy, beautiful journey. Yeah. And so I think I've, uh, I've changed my expectations. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that because I feel like so many people sort of uh, oftentimes don't talk about the bumps, if you will. And the other piece which you just raised, which was actually the impetus for me uh, reaching out, obviously we've been we've been friends for some time, but and I'm I'm here on the mountain that you had had the vision to create and have been 
totally relishing in and, and ha- as I have uh, in your events over over the years. But what actually occurred to me was I was having a uh, talk with Mike from Soma Water, uh, Del Ponte, who's also part of the community. And we were talking about this notion of, if you will, the second mountain. So oftentimes people are successful in uh, in a, a ex- in an execution. Uh, you've been a successful uh in, in a couple of different iterations of your businesses, but you're now in a different chapter of life in the, in that you've been married and you now have a two-year-old, which congratulations. Um, I feel like that's, uh, something I'm d- definitively, um, hoping for in my, in my future. And so in this conversation with Mike, one of the things that came up was, which is a real question for me is I am, uh, ambitious. I do yearn to create, uh, platforms that, that impact the world. And yet at the same time, my, my definition of success is really more around fulfillment. Um, so, so how does, especially I think as men, how do we balance that notion of success or business success with fulfillment? And then how does that perspective, and this is an authentic inquiry for me because I'm not in that phase yet, how does that change or evolve when one becomes a father? Well, The Second Mountain is a great book by David Brooks. Highly recommended. Uh, One of my mentors gave it to me after someone else gave me Ego is the Enemy. And I wondered, huh, are they trying to tell me something? (laughs) Um, Ryan Holiday, by the way, we uh, had on the show. And, um, you know, The Second Mountain, we all think... So the concept of The Second Mountain is you get to the first mountain, that's your your life, and you get to the top, and you've had all these accomplishments, and you look out and you realize, oh my gosh... I've been climbing the wrong mountain. And, you know, that's when you see people, oh, I turned my life around. I stopped, you know, abusing substances and became sober. I started a nonprofit. I tweaked my business model to give all my uh, employees health care, right? It's you get to the top and realize, wow, it wasn't about this. It's about something else. But the real, what is the second mountain, you know, all the research David Brooks does is actually a life of service. And I think the confusion that we, me, millennials, us, have is that we think this the first mountain is this you know you tried to make a lot of money and you got a job on wall street or some job you didn't like and the second mountain is remote work and you know working from these beautiful places and living this life and it's kind of you're in the driver's seat not some boss and we think that's the second mountain that is not the second mountain the second mountain is a life of service and one of the examples david brooks gives in the in the book is is a bus driver who um, you know drives a city bus and realizes that there are all these people on the bus every day, the hundreds of people on the bus who work, you know, these really hardworking jobs, and the bus driver represents this opportunity to look each person in the eye, give them a smile, be a steadying gaze, and be a person who's there every day. And so suddenly, the bus driver's job on the city buses, you know, they're a foundational anchor of this of what makes the city revolve, and they find purpose in that, you know, six days a week. Um, you know, you know, it, it's, there's, there's an example of the person cleaning, um, a hospital and, um, there's an up, there's an upset parent because, uh, of course, because, um, their child has passed away and they, you know, vent at the person cleaning the hospital that the room's not clean, clean enough. Um, or the child hadn't passed away. They were in a, in a coma or something like that. It was a really devastating state. And the janitor had just cleaned the room, but the janitor realized that you know their purpose was to hold space at the hospital and be this steadying person in service of all these people going through you know these really 
challenging, difficult, impossible experiences, and that the janitor, you know, was was their space holder, their therapist, their you know, metaphorical person to bring them light. And so she said, absolutely, I'll clean the room around, and realized that the parents snapping at them wasn't, you know, snapping out of anger, but for their own issues. And so. You know, my wife and I actually, we realized we're, we're obviously not on the second mountain. Um, uh, we're trying, uh, but we go around actually and we'll see people and be like, oh my gosh, that person is so second mountain. <laughs> um, but it's never, uh, it's, it, it's these examples I've given, funny enough. It's not some successful entrepreneur who says, oh, I've made all this money. Well, I'm going to give some money to charity. I'm going to, you know, volunteer here for a day, right? It's, yeah. it's the people that are on the second mountain that, um, you know, they've grounded into a place. They don't say, well, I'm going to Tulum for a month and Powder Mountain for three weeks and I'm going to Venice Beach for 10 days and then I have this. That is not the second mountain. The second mountain is, um, well, maybe you're in Venice Beach, but this is my home. Yeah. I'm cleaning it up. I'm helping these local community organizations. This is where I live. I'm at Powder Mountain. This is my community. This is my town. This is what I'm going to bring. And so the second mountain is about being in service, um, grounding into a place, and, and I'll, I'll wrap this up because it's just I'm so it's it's it was so fascinating reading the book. Um, the, us, me, millennials, we think that happiness. They break down happiness and joy, um, and ha- uh, I, I forget which is which. But jo- one of them, let's just say, joy is traveling, having. Having, uh, having fun, having good adventures, all the things I'm describing. Sh- easy days, easy weeks, easy months, fun. That's, uh, is that joy or happiness? Do you remember? That's, uh, I feel like that's joy. Let's say that that's joy. I'm very joyful. This was such a great, uh, you know, trip to this amazing place. Um, I splurged and got a first-class seat. I went to this expensive restaurant. Happiness is hard days, hard weeks, hard months, and hard years but those years in service, and it's that reflecting back and saying, I've been a teacher at this one school for, you know, 12 years, and these are my students, and that's like the depth of happiness. And so the second mountain is about that attempt to transition from joy to happiness, and it's obviously extremely difficult. It's not something you can do by shifting a mindset. It's not something I can do by you know, giving a little here and there, this or that. It's it's a total shift in taking away your short-term joy to help others and be in service that will lead to that long-term fulfillment. Beautifully said, man. I love that. It actually reminds me, you had a speaker at Summit who became a friend of mine, uh, and he's now passed, uh, but I want to honor him, which is Sean Stevenson, uh, the three-foot giant. And Sean actually, he drew that distinction, which was hugely pivotal for me in the distinction between fun and fulfillment. And mm. uh, which is similar to the joy and happiness yeah. distinction. And for me, it's been interesting. One small example for the, you know, next month I'll, I'll mark a year without alcohol. And for me, it was just like, I did a cost benefit analysis and I was like, I actually enjoy drinking. I'm not an alcoholic by any means, but I don't really enjoy the way I feel the next day. So I'm going to actually sacrifice that. And it's led to far. So I've sacrificed some fun, some nights out, whatever, you know, et cetera. But the, the level of fulfillment and the things that now the joy I'm finding in the mornings, the joy I'm finding in just connecting in, without any, you know, without any um, mind altering aspects in, in terms of one on one connections. And I'm finding fulfillment in that. Um, what if you if we want to use happiness or we use this context of fulfillment 
what are you finding the greatest fulfillment in and and where are you in that process as as you sort of root in here now deeply to to powder mountain during this you know quite a uh, a challenging time for the collective as we're, we're recording amidst the coronavirus um you know how are you thinking about the notion of fulfillment and this notion of the second mountain as it relates to service as as you sort of sit here today and and sort of re reassess your goals as we're all doing well, certainly being a parent, I am the personal assistant to a two-year-old. Um, <laughs> and it's just from the moment you have your child, um, you are in service every day, 24 hours a day. And, uh, you know, if you weren't already in service, like me, um, it is a shock to the system, a total wake-up. And it just it puts you into a mindset of being on your toes, ready to help an assistant any possible way. Um, and it's just incredibly beautiful but long days and weeks and years but so rewarding and so fulfilling and more love than you could ever imagine um i think being here in eden utah you know and i think for all of us uh you know who would travel and um you know jaunt off um grounding into a place and you know if is this place your home then make it your home treat it like your home and you know build local relationships and give back and you know i think you know um yeah, I think often to to, uh, to these two things, grounding into place and then truly being in service of others. Mm. And how does that inform, you know, this notion, at least as it exists in my mind, there's sort of, you know, we have these buckets, if you will, um, which are, you know, health, our health bucket, our family bucket, our career bucket. Um, but as you think about, and 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 family for me is has always been really my kind of core priority, but... As I think about career in balancing family, as I look to hopefully, um, you know, enter into that phase of creating my own family, how do you, and, and being, as you said, in service, how do you think about service as it relates to being present to your family, whilst also being present to, like you said, the town or growing this, this incredible community, which is Summit? It, it's, the question came from me because, and I'll just give a little bit of context. This is what I was talking with Mike, Mike Del Ponte around. It. So, so I was like, the person I probably respect the most on the planet in terms of legacy is Nelson Mandela. And I took my father to, before he passed earlier this year to South Africa. And that was probably the best thing I feel like I've ever done uh, because it was uh, a way for me to honor and be in service and share my appreciation for my father and the way he showed up. And one of the things that we bond, bonded around was this, this notion of the legacy of, of Nelson Mandela and what he did as a stand for his people in service. And at the same time, knowing the grandchildren of uh, 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 Kwaku and Ndaba, I often think to myself, how could a man of that level of service also balance being a father? And that was kind of the core inquiry that, that sort of led me down this path. But um, as you think about that notion of service and you have this two-year-old and you have this mountain, um, how do you think about and I don't, I don't know if balance is the right word because pro balance probably does not exist. But how do you think about being in service simultaneously to both of those realms? Well, I heard, um, I, I, was, I, I heard someone say that, um, you know, they were doing some startup investing and kind of figuring out what to do next but not working so hard. And they had a four-year-old. And they, you know, when the kid turned four, they decided there's something that clicked for them. And they decided you know, to really, you know, start waking up again at 6 a.m., go to the office and start working on their passion. 
And, you know, I asked, you know, well, doesn't that take away a lot of time from your kid? And they said, it does. But the most important thing is, you know, a child seeing a driven parent, a passionate parent, a parent that works hard, um, you know, being at home, um, you know, all day with my kid is amazing. And there's space for that. But again, to that example, you know, you also want to be a model for your kid. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that work-life balance or that work-life harmony, um, you know, I think what uh, has happened in, in these last six months during COVID is we've all had a lot more space. There's no events to go to from, you know, 5 p.m. to 2 a.m. Uh, or restaurants to go to. There's just a lot more space for us to sit with our thoughts. And, um, you know, it turns out we have a lot of time in the day and a lot of time to work, a lot of time to be with family, a lot of time to uh, video chat friends. Uh, so, you know, for me, it's about just realizing there's a lot of space uh, to do the things I want to do. And, you know, I reflect back to Summit events, you know, we put on these incredible events and they're surreal and content and great people. And I think, you know, as I reflect back to them, there, there's, there's no wrong way to attend anything because that would be judgmental. But I think that, you know, there are people who come to just have the best time and the best weekend and have so much fun. And, and I think that's okay. Of course, people need to release and and but there's people that that you know can find themselves doing that over and over again and then there's people coming to the event to derive you know real value to pursue their passions and purposes and i think you know as i look back and as i look forward um you know like everyone i spent a lot i spent enough time doing things that just bring me short-term fulfillment or joy it can be you know movies you're watching or funny videos and but there's no there's, we all have the experience, right, of flipping through something, some social media, and there's, a, there's some, some joy in the short term. There's some fulfillment, but the next day is kind of emptiness, and you're like, wow, I wish I'd spent those three hours doing. Uh, so I think it's kind of right in front of us and certainly right in front of me, and you know, I'm certainly trying to, to make those changes, albeit slowly. Yeah, you and me both. I was watching here on the mountain, uh, so the social dilemma, which just came out um, around this notion of how we are, in, in fact, you know, being oftentimes intoxicated by our devices. And given the fact that you have, and I also have a, a huge bias towards impersonal, uh, in-person gatherings, yet at the same time, um, celebrate many of the possibilities of digital technology for its ability to connect us. How are you thinking about in the kind of current context we're in, and I know obviously Summit is pivoting, for example, how are you thinking about, or how do you think about, and this can be personal or it can be around business, how do you think about continuing to build and maintain relationships given the current context we're in, which, which makes it much harder to do so in person, which would have been a traditional way in which one would maintain those relationships? Well, this is a great time to build upon existing relationships. We all have relationships and, you know, uh, the pandemic will come to an end at, at some point and we'll be back building new relationships, but it's obviously hard to build new relationships, um, you know, right now. And I think, you know, going deeper, uh, you know, with the people in our life, making amends to the people we need to make amends to, I think now's a great time to button up relationships, fix relationships, and in the good relationships you have, make them great relationships you have, or in the great relationships, you know, allow those relationships to challenge you and help you. So, I, I don't know that I've made too many relationships the last, uh, you know, six or nine months during during COVID. Um, you know, it's been about doing what I described with my existing relationships. Yeah. 
how do you i mean so there, there's a there's a principle where they say that based on our tribal sort of blueprint if you will we can we can effectively maintain about 155 relationships um whether accurate or not i can't say but you obviously have built a platform with tens of thousands of people in your network and yet at the same time as you said are looking to be very mindful and present to your two-year-old to your wife uh, to your community um, as you think about how to prioritize relationships and how to nurture existing relationships, do you have like what's your what's your mindset and or practices around? Because I think it's something many of us are thinking about, right? Because the notion of relationship is often changing. Some of those are more in-person, community-based relationships. Some of those are at distance. How do you think about um, continuing to maintain? those relationships that are close, you know, sort of the most inner circle relationships, but then also, you know, maybe maybe the second or third degree circles. Well, I certainly agree that it's hard to maintain many relationships yeah. and, and some big number like 150 is already sounds overwhelming. I think, you know, contacts and people you've met or people you have a nice hello and, um, you know, good chit chat with and you recognize that's that's more of a contact, less yeah. of a relationship. So, you know, of course, there's traditional techniques to maintain those contacts or pseudo relationships and stay in good touch with them. Of, of course, be nice, be friendly. But yeah, I think for me, it's, you know, the few dozen people that I'm really, really close to. And I'm a big, you know, proponent of video chatting on WhatsApp video or FaceTime. So, you know, for me, a relationship is someone you can spontaneously video chat. If you can't spontaneously video chat them, then it's probably not a real relationship or a really close friend. Um, and I think, you know, with Summit, like our entire business was events where you would go to events, you'd strengthen relationships, you you and you know you build new relationships. So obviously that's on pause, that's not happening. And um, you know we spent the you know we spent like the last four years thinking about you know what we want to do besides events, and we've always wanted to do forums. Um, you know I think many of us have been in some sort of forum or another. Um, it could have been a formal forum like in you know. AA or an Al-Anon. It could be uh, a men's or women's circle you're in. It could be, you know, a more professional group like a entrepreneur's organization or a, a YPO. Um, but we felt like there was a big gap, kind of like when I started, when I started the summit events, there was just, there was a gap. I didn't get invited to anything. Nothing was kind of tailored toward me. And like, there is such a benefit toward, you know, back to your question, going deep um, with a small group of people, you know, especially kind of eight people, and holding each other accountable. One thing I notice with even my best relationships is there's almost all the relationship, if not all of it, is is fairly superficial and high level. You you rarely jump into a conversation with someone and say, you know, what what was the five percent of your week that was the hardest? What was the five percent that was the best? You know, and then when they tell you a couple weeks later, so what? You know, I know you had this intent. How did that go? Mm. You know, what's the most challenging thing in your relationship right now? Like, we just you just don't ask those questions because it's hard. It's pushy. It's it's a little can be a little aggressive. You really need a, a container in a closed space, almost like if you've ever been in therapy. Um, you know, they create that container to share, right? Whereas you could never ask those therapist questions if it wasn't in that kind of safe space. And so, we've wanted to launch our own form for. Uh, you know, four or five years, but finally with our events coming to a pause, we just accelerated it. And so, you know, this past, uh, like a few months ago, we, we launched it. And, and so that's been our focus with Summit. Like, what are we doing? We're literally focusing to your question on pairing groups of eight people. Uh, they actually don't know each other. So it's new relationships. But once you quickly establish those relationships, like the foundation is going deep. Mm. And, um, 
being able to hold each other accountable, ask hard questions, almost having a mutual advisory board, mm. which um, I don't have in my life. You know, I go through my life and I have these ups and downs we're all we're talking about. But, you know, having a safe container where everything's confidential, where you can share the downs, I think having a group that's built on challenges, right? So much yeah. like, well, how are you? Awesome. I mean, I just did this road trip and I had this amazing dinner last night and my kid is so great. Like they cried one time, but that's okay. Like that's kind of all of us, you know, <laughs> me included. And I think again, creating that container where you can have a group where it's built on challenge that at the foundation of the group, like, okay, what has been the hardest part of, you know, your kid this week? Oh, wow. Well, it's been, you know, it's been, you know, all he wants to do is, you know, go outside. And if you, you know, I don't take him at that exact moment. He just learned how to try to slap or he just, he yells so loud or hurts my eardrums or whatever it is. Yeah. So, but that's been our focus actually. Take, yes, creating new relationships, but fundamentally building a, a container for people to, to really go deep. And it's a great question. I love that because I've been doing a bunch of research on this and, and this notion of what forges those, the depth of those relationships, you know, this is an extreme example, but, you know, I think I've been looking, for example, listening, part, part of, actually, I met Tim Ferriss here at, through the Summit community, but um, this notion of PTSD and some of the work that he's been talking about, and also Tribe by Sebastian Younger, a phenomenal book, and he, they equate, you know, the, the bonds that are forged, for example, through collective adversity, which is an extreme of what you're talking about, but I think oftentimes in challenge, we, we find we find those bonds together. I mean, tribe in, in tribes, that's how, that's how it would happen and how you'd solidify those relationships. And I've thought a lot about that. Um, you know, also as someone who, uh, hosted events, you know, uh, I had a lot of fair weather friends when it came time for tickets in terms of, uh, September. Um, and not that those were anything, anything wrong with that. And I had a lot of contacts, but I did a really deep inquiry around that notion of like, if God forbid something were to happen, and, you know, I needed someone, you know, you, you go to the hospital, you need to move or whatever. I mean, obviously you can hire movers, but, you know, when it, when it, when it's, you know, Oprah has a, I'm going to butcher this, a quote, which is like, everyone wants to be with you when, when you're in the limo, Who, who's going to show up for you when you're riding the bus. Yes. And I love that idea of, you know, the context of people who have your back, um, in the depth of who you are. And so I, I really honor that that's the direction you're, you're, you're looking to grow, um, the community and um, for people who want to tap into and learn more about sort of the future direction of summit where can they go summit.co s-u-m-m-i-t dot c-o fantastic man a um, few final questions as we as we as we kind of like look to wrap this up but first of all i just want to acknowledge you because i mean i think as someone who cares deeply about events and thinks about events as a, as a huge catalyst, not because I'm an event planner, but as a, well, in the context of Global Citizen, the idea was to, around building a broader-based social movement around service, but also just in the context of, of how do we build great relationships and bring people together and convene them in a way that, that solidifies and creates um, opportunity beyond even our reckoning, beyond even our intention. And mm -hmm. I know from various people in the Summit community who have gotten married or found their business partner or really have found a depth of a relationship that was truly not present prior to that container. I just want to honor and acknowledge you for creating, uh, together with your team, that incredible container. I want to ask you a little bit about team because I know when I first met you and you still together 10 years later are, are together with your co-founders. Um, 
how do you think about team and relationships? Because I feel like it's not often that you see, t especially 10 years later, uh, co-founders that are still together, for example. Um, and, I, and I know in some of the research that you really value uh, team and culture. Can you talk a little bit about how you think about, um, for those looking to create whatever their vision is, oftentimes a vision at any scale requires other people. How do you think about uh, effectively navigating and building with other other folks, co-founders specifically? Well, it's sad to see so many companies and uh, all the co-founders hate each other, like mm -hmm. at Facebook or Twitter. It's just kind of sad and depressing. Um, you know, you know, our view was and has always been that the more diverse the inputs, the better the outputs. So I think that when you have someone who believes that, you know, they kind of they know the true north, they know the path and, you know, people can lightly tweak them or give feedback. But that's it. I don't think that's a good recipe for success. I mean, you can clearly have too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, but I think with the Summit co-founders, it's we all know the more diverse the inputs, you know, the better the better the outputs. And, um, you know, it's been like that now for 12 years. Um, you know, we're great listeners. I think we got really lucky uh, just picking each other. But I, I think also, you know, fundamentally our goal was never profits. Our goal was let's build something really great. And why do we want to build something great? Well, we want to enjoy it too. Um, we want to build a, a great team. And so I think, you know, we've always had our priorities lined up, um, which is like, hey, the whole point of this is like, you know, for us to be friends. The whole point of this is for us to respect each other and listen to each other's ideas. Like, um, and, and I'll say finally, you know, none of us wanted to be the face of the organization. We still don't. We, don't. we don't do a ton of press. We don't do a ton of media. When we do, we make it about the organization. We don't make it about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think so foundationally, we've had all the right ingredients for the final, you know, the final metaphorical item to come out of the oven right yeah um you know listen to each other compassion you know compassionately care with the care with the others think make the priority you know integrity values being with great people um you know not value profits over everything else love that to that to that point i mean you mentioned listening for example and, and that's something i've really been thinking a great deal about because um, i feel like a lot of people lead with um uh, trying to declare what they're about as opposed to really lead from a place of listening. If you were to think about, you know, perhaps listening is one of them, but if you were to think about two or three tenants um, that have been core, maybe maybe their core values for you personally or their values upon which you've been able to successfully build your organizations, what would those two or three values be? Well, just to touch on listening, because it's also uh – it's so fundamental um, when when we think to the best conversations that we had or the people we like the most, it's not because they talk at us for an hour. Mm. It's because they're compassionate listeners. In the word of, words of Tish Nhat Hanh, I mean, compassionate listening is like his, again, his foundational um, recipe for a su any successful relationship, like literally looking into their eyes, into their souls. When they're saying things you don't agree with, compassionately listening. I'm not that good at it. I'm trying to be better. Um, but I think that that as a tenant is so important um, to be able to compassionately listen. And I think we're all just programmed to want to talk and thinking that our best conversation where we talk at people. Um, and certainly it goes back to the beginning of the conversations, you know, when you want to build relationships, asking that great question and compassionately listening to. I didn't just cold call people and lecture them about my amazing startup 
or, you know, this amazing trip, I, I called them and said, hey, you know, re reading a blog post that your company put out changed our company. Here's why. And I was wondering if, you know, are there, what are the next blog posts you're thinking of putting out? And they thought, wow, this person is a great learner. They're like, they actually, by me asking that question, they think more highly of me. I think, um, going back to our foundational tenants, um, you know, our quote is make no small plans. That's kind of like the mantra of summit, um, you know, to really think big and know that anything's achievable. But, you know, I, I equate that, you know, to all the aspects of our life. You know, it's not just some audacious business goal, but it's, you know, make no small plans that, you know, maybe my life can switch to be a, you know, a really a life in service. Maybe I can be a really great dad. I mean, those are not small plans to be a great um, husband or wife or, or, or parent, um, or maybe I really can be a great plan. That would also be making no small plans. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing we... You know, the things that we're doing now uh, should be the things we always want to do. Um, there's, you know, when I die, I want to come back as me. You know, it's a great quote. And, you know, whatever you're doing, and you know, we shouldn't be doing things to get through the years. We should be every day, you know, th these, we should try to assess our life and, and know that, you know, this is where we want to be. Extraordinarily well said. And to that point, uh, and I've been thinking about this a fair amount lately, in the notion of legacy, oftentimes legacy is framed around the notion of achievements, um, at least traditionally. You know, ob obituaries are often um, laden with, uh, with sort of, you know, the highlight reel, if you will. Um, but that said, oftentimes, um, oftentimes one's legacy is, is deeper and perhaps not always correlated with the great business success, what have you. As you think about legacy um, and you think about how you'd like to be remembered and, 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 and really how you'd like to live, is there, are there core, is there a core aspect of, of how you're thinking about the next, you know, the reason that I, I bring this up is my father recently passed. And as I was sitting with him, I realized that I'm about half the age that he is. And I'm thinking about the second half of life. And I just interviewed uh, Chip Conley, who I know has also been at Summit events. And we were reflecting on this notion of, of, of sort of how, for lack of a better term, a second mountain in life. And, and, and this notion of legacy as it informs how we go about living. As you think about the next chapter in life, whatever that looks like for you, um, what, what would you like to be, uh, how would you like to lead that? next chapter and and how would you like to be remembered perhaps not by those who don't know you but by by those who deeply care about you sure why well, i don't i don't think about legacy at all um that's just my unique perspective i've, I've never thought about it um i guess i'm going to be dead so it doesn't to me really matter like how they think about me and i don't know for some reason that word it's interesting we have ways we interact with words like it, I, it was never a word i resonated with it mm -hmm. felt like uh you know, I realize you, I, it's just that it never resonated with me. But I, what I think about often is, um, you know, we, we're in a, here at Powder Mountain. It's, you know, I didn't create Powder Mountain. It, this will be the 50th, uh, 50th year it, it's opened. Mm. And, um, you know, it's going to be here for 50 more years or 100 more years. And, you know, with the community we're building here, you know, you know, homes are around for hundreds of years, 150 years. So, you're, you're having to plan for many generations. So for me, 
you know, the legacy just just shifted into, you know, the things we're building are built to last. You know, so many companies we hear about, they build them and the goal is to sell them. Mm -hmm. You know, having a place like Powder Mountain, um, you know, all the trees behind us, like these youngest trees that you see are about um, 30 years old. And, you know, then as you look down, you know, over my shoulder to my right, those trees are, you know, two, three, four hundred years old. And, you know, so for me, just our work is about preserving something, you know, not just for the next generation, but, for, you know, Native Americans would plan for seven generations. Um, you know, th these trees were here. I mean, not just one, like thousands of trees behind us were, were here before 1776. Um, the thousands so you know just the work that we're doing by its nature um you know requires long-term planning and we, you know we plant uh literally plant you know two to three thousand trees and you know we're not planting them for 20 years they're going to be around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years so i guess you know i've kind of applied that also to summit and to our events it's been 12 years but you know i feel like we're just getting going and so i i guess i've taken you know back to the legacy question i've just taken the approach that you know this is what i want to be doing i i and the things like if this is what i want to be doing like there's no exit strategy that's something we talk about with our team often there is no exit strategy we've just entered is it we've, <laughs> there's, we've just entered like why would i want to exit something that i love so much you know i want to you know be a part of it for my life I love that. I love that. And I love that you talked about trees, having just traveled through five of our great uh, national parks and, and looking at rocks. And Have you read The Overstory? No. I just started it. It won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction, but it's really? two, two years ago. Okay. I got, I, I'm actually, that's going to be my next question around books. But what I will say real, before I transition to that is I was looking at the sediment. So we're, we're recording in Utah, in Eden, Utah, and I was looking at, um, in Bryce Canyon and in Zion, I was looking at the red rock sediments in southern Utah, and the very tip of those rocks are 190 million years old. And as you go, go, go closer to mm. the base, uh, you know, you head into 200, 300, 400 million years old. And it just, I yeah. think, to your very point around the trees, I think, um, the preservation piece I really resonate with. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, a final couple questions. If there are three books, I'm gonna, I'm personally gonna take away Overstory because you just recommended it. But if there were three books that you've that you've been excited by lately, or you think you would add value to people listening, it could be books, could be films. Um, what would give give us a two or three that you that you've loved? Okay, uh, Secrets of Great Rainmakers is uh, the you know ultimate 101 guide to you know sales and getting in the door. Just most basic. Uh, the Overstory it feels like a brain massage. If you want to know what good writing is, it's it's overwhelmingly incredible. Mm. Um, I just uh, I'm almost finished with uh, the Elon Musk book by Ashley Vance. I just never read it. Um, I think it came out five years ago, and it's absolutely mind-blowing because it's everything we're talking about, but more startup-y by a thousand times than, of course, so successful. Um, I'm always reading, like, five books at one time. Yeah. Um, I, In terms of shows, I, I, uh, I just have been watching Uncharted uh, with Gordon Ramsay, where he goes, I really love to cook. I find, like, cooking is my creative art like we have to eat i have to feed my kid uh and i just i find it uh very refreshing and gordon ramsay go you know normally he's kind of this mean-spirited chef who critiques everyone well now he finds 
the the most incredible characters in like a dozen different countries around the world. And he goes to the countries and he learns their cooking techniques from them. And they take him out, totally out of his comfort zone and then they prepare meals for the locals. And I think being so gr- literally and metaphorically grounded right now in one place, I found this show, like just watching 10 or 15 minutes of it a day, like you know, really heartwarming, like really connecting to these cultures. You know, it's just, it's beautifully shot, the cinematography, the, just you, you can almost smell the, the, the food that they're cooking. And, you know, that show is just, it's really kind of lifted me up knowing, hey, that world is out there. I feel connected because right now we can feel so disconnected. I know we'll have a chance to go back, but, you know, that, that show's been, um, been, been really nice. Man, I love that. I was watching Long Way Up last night, which is a motorcycle journey through South America, and have been okay. and refinding uh, Anthony Bourdain, his earliest work, which was I found discovered on Amazon uh, during quarantine, and very similarly, really like for me ignited. Like you know, he's there's one where he's in Morocco, and like you, I have a, a deep passion for travel and for adventure, and and just the beauty of connecting with a random person a Sherpa bus driver, whoever it is around the world. And I, and it, and it reinvigorated the notion of, I'm going to be so grateful to, um, I'm so grateful to dive deep at home now, but I'm also going to be grateful to, to share those memories. And for one, if you haven't seen it yet, did you see the Francis, uh, Malman chef's table episode? I have actually seen that one. (laughs) I just thought of you because I was like, uh, yeah, I was thinking about the mountains. He lives in, yeah, with Patagonia and he only cooks things over fire and he, you know, he digs a, you know, if we thought barbecuing was cool, you know, he digs a pit in the ground and puts the coals in and then just puts some, you know, metal slash steel or, you know, slab over. And then he, he catches a fish, you know, in his his galoshes. And then he takes the fish and then he puts it, uh, cakes it in mud from the local beach. And then he puts the mud inside of sand and the sand inside of tinfoil. And so there's a tinfoil in the holy dug with the coals and shovels more coals on. And it's, oh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, that's the kind of thing where I, I watch it and feel very connected to these cultures, even though we're so far away. 100% 100% brother I was just because I thought of you as you were talking about that I was like yeah that the Francis that, that's the kind of so when I say like I'm into cooking it's it's that type of aspiration it's not fancy plated many course meals it's like looking around the kitchen and seeing the things I have and then you know how can I you know, how can I cook it in interesting ways and I would I, I've never cooked an uh, over I've never cooked yet over an open fire which is putting a um, like a steel, you know, grate on top of it. I've, I've grilled, of course, but that's kind of my next foray. It's I've, funny you say that because I've been thinking about that. Something I really want to do is is like a charcoal pit with a with a grill over it. I love it. I love it. Next chapter. Um, well, for, I just want to say thank you first of all. Um, thanks for taking the time, man. Uh, this is the first um, in person interview I've done for quite some time. Um, it, we just we're here and we're outdoors and felt like we could do it safely. But I appreciate you. Uh, you making the time, um, and I feel like people can really benefit from from your insights and from what you've been able to create. And I just love connecting after knowing you for ten years and and hearing about seeing how you've evolved from mid mid young mid twenties. Wasn't yesterday your birthday as well? If I'm yep. not mistaken, turned thirty five. Happy birthday, baby! Thank you. Yeah. So um, first of all, happy birthday. Um, it's an honor to be here in front of your folks' home on a mountain that you're looking to preserve. Um, and I love that idea. I want to honor you for that idea. So many people, I think, orient towards what their exit is or what the transactional value of something is. And I feel like both in terms of relationships as well as in terms of 
building something that truly matters, oftentimes that comes from a spirit of just giving without an expectation of return. And um, and so I want to, I'm, I'm grateful for your stand in that regard. Thank you. Great um, chat. Yeah, Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, brother. Elliot Biz now. Check him out. Thank you. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Elliot. I know that I did. Uh, if you got value, uh, please go ahead and leave a rating and review over on iTunes. Uh, it helps me grow this community. And uh, you can also uh, hit me up uh, at summit at Michael Trainer on Instagram and let us know what virtue or value you got from the episode. Um, I'm going to continue to bring incredible guests over the course of the next year. And it means the world to me that you guys would take the time to listen. So sending you guys so much love from Eden, Utah at the top of Powder Mountain. Wishing you guys all the best. Talk to you soon. To your journey.